On March 21, 2010, four-year-old Paulette Gabara Farah went missing in the middle of the night. Her nannies and family discovered her bed empty the next morning. The family and staff searched frantically but were not able to locate her, nor was there any indication that a break-in and subsequent kidnapping had occurred. Paulette had simply vanished. However, there is one big problem with that. Paulette had a motor and language disability, which inhibited her ability to move and walk on her own. So how did a disabled four-year-old who needed help walking vanish out of her bed in the middle of the night? Well, the answer is, she didn't. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. All right, so let's start with the disappearance. On March 21st, Paulette, her older sister, Lizette, and her father, Mauricio Gabara, returned home from a vacation that they'd enjoyed over spring break. The three of them have visited Valle de Bravo, not too far from their Hixaquilican high-rise apartment, which is just outside of Mexico City. The girl's mother, also named Lizette Farah, met with the rest of the family at home, as she had been on a separate trip with a girlfriend to Los Cabos. Now, Lizette claims she stayed up late and tucked the girls in bed before retiring herself. Little Paulette had been born at just 22 weeks and therefore was developmentally disabled. Though she was making great progress in the time before she went missing, she required round-the-clock help. Now, both Lizette and Mauricio came from wealthy backgrounds and were now both working as lawyers. The couple was pretty wealthy themselves, enough so that they hired two nannies to help with Paulette throughout the day. On the morning of March 22nd, Erica, one of the girl's nannies, got Lizette up and dressed and on the school bus before returning upstairs to wake Paulette and get her ready for the day. Erica claims that when she walked in the room, the bed was empty and still made up, with the sheets and blankets all still tucked under the mattress. Paulette was nowhere to be found. Again, this is unusual because Paulette would have needed help even getting out of the bed, much less wandering off and then making it. She searched the apartment before notifying their mother, Lizette, that the girl was missing. Lizette sat quietly, sipping her coffee and having a cigarette in her living room while the two nannies searched the apartment for Paulette. Mauricio was made aware of Paulette's disappearance, and after searching the building, he called his sister to tell her that they could not find the girl, and his sister is the one who finally alerted the authorities. So already, their behavior is a little odd, in my opinion. So after a report was made by the mayor, Alfredo Del Mazo Maza, he notified the Attorney General of the State of Mexico, a man named Alberto Basbas, who took over the case. Now what makes this weird? How about the fact that thousands of children are reported missing in Mexico every year and rarely, if ever, do they get the kind of attention that Paulette's case received, especially so early on. Now, after the initial search of the apartment building, there were no signs of theft or kidnapping. The locks were intact, as well as the windows and doors. The housing complex had surveillance, but no evidence of Paulette leaving or being taken was found. Besides, Paulette wasn't even capable of going out alone, remember? So where was she? Hundreds of friends and family came to the Gabara Farah home and helped search for the girl, with some even sleeping in Paulette's room while they assisted the family. 
so it was not being treated like a crime scene from the beginning, and allowing everyone in would later destroy any chance of using evidence taken from the room. That afternoon, the Attorney General released a poster with the photo of Paulette and information about her age, appearance, and physical disabilities. So within the day, there were billboards and posters for this missing child of this local wealthy couple. Odd. Gabara's aunt, Arlette Farah, sent emails and uploaded a photo to social media where the news quickly spread, prompting a very large response. In the evening, Lizette Farah released a message on television to the alleged abductor, asking that her daughter be returned to her, saying that she could be left in a shopping center or a crowded place and there would be no consequences. After the announcement, she distributed flyers with Paulette's face. She put up billboards and placed advertisements on television and public transport. Mauricio, her father, also appeared in the media. He recalled that he had gone out to work in the morning of March 22nd, when Paulette had apparently disappeared. So on March 29th, the Attorney General announced that Paulette's parents, Erica and Martha Casimiro, and Paulette's nannies would all six be placed under a restricted order due to the falsehoods and inconsistencies in their statements. Quote, each one of them at a certain moment have falsified their statements, which has made it difficult to know the truth of the facts and clarify a firm line of investigation. End quote. That's from Attorney General Alberto Bosbas. And on March 30th, Paulette's parents spent several hours at the police station before being transferred to a hotel to comply with the restriction order. The same day, police experts prepared for a reconstruction of events at the Gabara home. And then finally, nine days after her disappearance, a team of three forensic experts entered Paulette's room at 2 a.m. and walked to the bed and began taking measurements, loudly stating its characteristics and recording their activities on video. At one point, one of them declared that Paulette was, quote, severely beaten to death. And a few moments after, the forensics expert to his right removed the bed's blanket to reveal two large bloodstains. One of them was about the size of an adult's head. The same man walked to the front of the bed with the help of another forensic expert and removed all the sheets to reveal what no one was expecting. On March 31st, Paulette's remains were found in her bedroom at the foot of her bed between the mattress and the footboard, wrapped in her blankets. Though an investigator had stated that Paulette had been severely beaten, this statement was almost immediately refuted by General Attorney Bosbus, who said Paulette's death was attributed to mechanical asphyxia due to obstruction of the nasal cavities and thorax abdominal compression. An autopsy revealed that Paulette slept with an orthopedic cloth over her mouth, which was placed there every night to prevent her from sleeping with her mouth open, and that her body not manipulated after death and that she had eaten at least five hours before her death. The body had two segments of rectangular adhesive cloth in vertical position on both cheeks, in addition to signs of a blow to the left elbow and knee. The official findings, however, indicated no signs of physical or sexual violence. The autopsy also established that her death occurred between five and nine days before the analysis was made, establishing that she could have died on the very first day and the official report was made on March 31st, although they did not reveal the exact date and hour of her death. The official report also said no traces of drugs or toxic substances were found in the body. That could have affected the girl's consciousness. The conclusion was that Paulette, quote, by her own means, 
moved on the bed and accidentally fell headlong into a space at the foot of the bed, where she died of asphyxiation and subsequently remained unnoticed for nine days. While her family was sleeping in that room, may I remind you. And on April 3rd, Farah initiated a proceeding against the restriction order, claiming that she had not been involved in the events that caused her daughter's death. Specialists said that Farah suffered from personality disorders, and on April 4th, a judge granted freedom to Paulette's parents and the nannies. On April 5th, in separate interviews, Kabara, Paulette's dad, and Farah, her mom, accused each other. Farah claimed that her husband blamed her for Paulette's death, whilst Kabara claimed that the death could not have been a simple accident and that he could not completely trust his wife. On April 6th, Paulette's body was buried at the Panteon Francis de San Joaquin in Mexico. The funeral procession was headed by Farah without any member of the Gabara family in attendance due to, quote, an agreement. And on April 7th, the Gabara family denied Farah's request to see her other daughter, Lizette, who had stayed with her father's family since April 4th. And on May 10th, the Attorney General of the Federal District granted the custody of Paulette's sister to Farah, who brought a complaint against her husband demanding custody of the girl. And later that month, Basbas defended the investigation and conclusions of the case, and he resigned his position as Attorney General of the State of Mexico, saying that an Attorney General needs confidence to act effectively, and that he had lost his confidence due to the questioning of his actions in the investigation of the death of Paulette Gabara Farah. Seven years later, on May 3rd, 2017, Paulette's body was exhumed and cremated since authorities considered that her remains were no longer objects of evidence for the investigation, destroying any chance of any further findings. A close friend of Farah, Amanda De La Rosa, was allowed to live in Gabara's apartment for several days immediately following the girl's disappearance. Amanda slept in Paulette's room, which was not secured by the authorities. In the time she stayed in there, the bed was made on a daily basis, and nobody noticed the girl's body nor the bloody stains on the sheets as they appeared on the forensic video. As a result, Amanda was also investigated as a possible suspect, but no charges were filed. At the end of the investigation, she wrote, Where's Paulette? A book narrating the events from her personal perspective, questioning the discrepancies between the facts and the authority's statements. But if you haven't noticed by now, some things don't add up. Although the local authorities gave the video to the press as a document to prove how the body was found, there are several doubts about its authenticity. Most experts agree that it's a reenactment and not a real-time event, which may explain how one of the forensic experts could know that Paulette was beaten before any evidence was found. It would also explain the placement of the camera, the position of the forensic experts in the exact place to be able to show all the elements to the public without any obstruction. It has also been noted that none of those present seemed to show any surprise when discovering the body, and they even continue narrating the events with a mechanical voice, as if they were repeating a script. The time the video was recorded was very unusual as well. Such legal procedures are usually performed in the daytime. The biggest controversy regarding the video was that as soon as it was released, Attorney General Bosbas publicly stated that the images proved that Paulette had accidentally suffocated, avoiding any mention of violence. And in later interviews and statements to the press, violence was not mentioned again, and the official cause of death was ruled 
as an accident. Now, during the investigation of the case, there was a recording between Farah and Lizette, and it was released in which Farah instructs her daughter to not say anything of Paulette's disappearance so that they would not be blamed. Lizette asks, why mom? And Farah replies, because otherwise they will blame us for stealing her or say that you took her away to be stolen. At first, Farah denies this, saying that the recording was edited so it sounded like she was telling her daughter to hide any information. Later, however, she accepted that these were the words that she said, stating, quote, I had the conversation with my daughter, but not in the context they showed it. But now the case is closed and Paulette's remains are destroyed. But is the case really solved? Or did authorities help a wealthy murderer get away? All right, guys, there you have it. The very strange case of Paulette Gabarafara. Well, I mean, you know, in details. My wife, Kristen, is here with, again with me today. Mm-hmm. Um, the details are strange. Yes. Um, but what actually happened seems not clear, not crystal clear. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's foggy water, but I can still see what happened, I think. Yeah. You know, this, yeah. this is so suspicious. <laughs> um, you had a woman, right, who has a daughter. Her, her oldest daughter, names her completely after herself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's a little weird. That's kind of a little, that's a little bit, I mean, I would say it's a narcissistic thing to do, even though males do it all the time, yeah. right? Um, right. But <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Uh, so not that, not that strange, I guess. But then she has another daughter who is born at 22 weeks mm-hmm. gestation. She is, you know, not fully formed and will need help for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. That um, could propose a little bit of a motive, um, especially for a rich, successful lawyer, mm-hmm. um, a lawyer couple, rather, yeah. who People could do really... a lot with their lives. They Imagine how much income. I know they had two nannies to take care of her, okay? Yeah. But imagine how much income, how much instantly they would make if mm-hmm. they didn't need those nannies anymore. Yeah. People and, have heavily speculated that the mom's motive was if... Yeah, if that's what happened. If that's what happened. Then that her motives were definitely the fact that she didn't want to take... They, like, there was even one article that said in an interview, the mom said, well, you know, if something did happen to Paulette, well, at least I have another daughter. Or some some shit like that. She was like, well... Oh, my. Yeah, it was, ve- it was a very concerning statement. Yeah, and she also had just come back from a vacation with her girlfriends, mm-hmm. right? Where it was just her... I thought that Which was, was kind weird. of odd. You don't go on a vacation with the rest of your family. Hey. It's I don't know. Yeah. Maybe rich people do get to go on like separate. Oh, know. okay. Oh, let me, let me yeah. take. I'm going to go here. Vacation. I don't know. I want to go back here. Okay. I don't fine. like going <laughs> on vacations without the family, but I know, right? What's the point? <laughs> right? What's the point? But um, yeah, this case weird. The the video too, and there's also a Netflix special. Mm-hmm. The video that we kept referring to in the show is obviously the investigation. The the CSI crew or whatever, the forensic video that they took. And the Netflix doc 
It's not a documentary. It's actually a reenactment, mm-hmm. right? It's in Spanish with American subtitles, yeah, or you can choose that. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's called The Search, mm-hmm. if you guys want to check that out. But it is very factually accurate yeah, from what we could it's tell. it's pretty spot on. It's I mean, even down to the way they recorded the video mm-hmm. at the beginning, the forensics video. Yeah. Um, so, well, we're checking out if you guys are interested in this story and want to see it acted out um, and get a little more idea of how this went down. But it's it's not like I say it's not a documentary, um, but it is. It's just like based on the. But it's story. yes, strongly based on the story. Yeah, it is the story. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't understand how like I was talking to you about this earlier. How yeah. like when you have a disabled child go missing and there's no proof of anybody coming in or out, it's like I mean she's got to be in the room, right? She's got to be in the room. Why what are you was doing? this room not like torn? I'd be tearing the freaking wallpapers off, like. Yeah, I'd pull it apart. She has to be in there somewhere. Meanwhile, her mom was enjoying a glass of wine and a cigarette in the a coffee in, the, in a oh yeah, coffee, coffee and a cigarette in the, in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah, or whatever. So her yeah her yeah, behavior that would from not have the been very my reaction. beginning was very odd. Very. <laughs> That's yeah understatement and of the century. Hus- they've split up. Her husband doesn't defend her at all. He uh, I think he that tells he you about thinks, all you need to know right there. Yeah, right. I'm like damn, you didn't trust her enough that yeah. That's some, I don't know. He knows what happened, but again, he doesn't want to fight his ex-wife, and he probably thinks at this point. But also, she got custody of their other daughter. Yeah. Which is really... She should almost be an adult by now, but... Wow. But still, though, that's a slap in the face to him. Mm -hmm. It's like, you already took one of our daughters, Mm -hmm. and then now you want the other one as well. So, yeah. uh, Heartbreaking case, guys. Pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's really no other way to say it. Check out the search on Netflix if you guys want to see this illustrated. Um, but very strange case. I'm glad you found it, mm-hmm. babe. Um, yeah, it was time for for a weird disappearance like this. This mm-hmm. is even know. if it was an accident, it's like it's just it's just so weird that she could have been there for so long and no one noticed. Yeah, absolutely. Nine days. Y'all didn't tear that room apart. Like I said, tear it apart. Where, okay, she, where okay. could she have been? So what do you think happened? I think she was taken out of the room for a short period of time. She was bludgeoned, mm-hmm. killed somehow, asphyxiated, whatever. And then she was placed back in the bed after the family was gone and whatnot. Right. Yeah. It could have been something as simple as like she did fall out of like struggle and fall out of bed. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And then they were like, af- I don't know, afraid. But it was just the way like the sheets are still tucked in, like she was never put to bed. Right. That that made it really suspicious too. I'm like, did she even make it back from that? But that's what some people have said. They're like, did she even make it back from vacation? Like pointing fingers at the dad. Yeah. You know, and that the, the mom's covering for him and stuff. But I don't know that now they've split. It's like, hmm. It's like, who? And we found really her. Happened? So the obviously really the dad happened, didn't do though? it. Who did it though? I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's I just, just, it's hard she for me was, to blame like, the father the in this situation. Like, the sheets were tucked in, and there were pillows beside her. I just yeah. don't see how she could have not only squirmed all the way down to the foot of the bed, but squirmed all the way down to the foot of the bed and sideways, and not asphyxiated before she got all the way down there. You right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's, it, it's just, it's really hard to believe she just accidentally got down there, mm-hmm. and like I said, got all the way tucked down in, and then she's struggling, right? Right. So, why are the sheets so pristinely kept? I know. You know. I don't know. I'm like, it's it's very suspicious. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, <laughs> again, another understatement. But 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the body was, I feel like she was placed there already killed mm-hmm. later. Then later. called the forensics team. They come in and she, you they know, brought slips them some cash dogs. or some shit and pays them to, yeah. to record the video right? the way they found it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just like, how rich are they? How much connections do they have? Why did the attorney general um, resign right after dealing with this case? Right. Did he take a payout too, knowing that he was going, you he know, that it would be found out? He felt like the trust of the public had been lost. Right, and that right. that position couldn't be filled by someone who didn't hold the trust. So he felt he had to resign. But it was like, I don't, uh-huh. I don't know. It's just How noble. Insane, right? It's perfect. I mean, it's a it's a perfect plan right. thought oh, out by yeah. lawyers. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, it's just yeah, it's it's brilliant. All bullshit. <laughs> Well, all right, guys. Well, that's that's pretty much all the opinion you're going to get this week. Uh, no Lauren Synopsis this week. But be sure to check in next week for... Uh, no, wait. Sandu Stories Week is next week. Yes. So uh, me and Andy will be on the free platform with you guys with a free episode of Strange Shorts. So if you want to be updated on all the crime shenanigans, make sure you tune into that. Um, and then a very special Sandu Stories for our Patreon listeners. At patreon.com slash guys. you can get access to everything we do. Um, for just five bucks a month. Or if you're just interested in the Sandu content, you can do patreon.com slash SNU podcast. And for just $3 a month, you can get all the Sandu content, um, including strange shorts every single Monday, new uh, early releases of Sandu proper, which you're listening to right now. You can hear that on Thursday. And also Sandu stories, of course. All right. So we'll see you next week, guys. Until then, be strange. Just don't be strangers. check out all the other programs on the TCG network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. And if those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and the 5-Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. Hey, how, do you, how do you shut this thing off? Over?